miracles are something that we consider extraordinary, something unexpected or something we can't explain or understand, like a miraculous healing of an incurable disease. There's no scientific or logical explanation, and we call that a miracle or a shift in perception that something like that is even possible, right? So a miracle can be seen as a shift in our perception. So awakening is a shift in your perception away from the identification that you have with yourself as a body to a deep recognition of yourself as pure awareness, that which is aware, that which is looking through the lens of your eyes. This is the nature of awakening and it's this instantaneous shift that produces this realization of yourself as source and it's known as awakening. And sometimes in the looking or the searching for the miraculous we overlook the ordinary miracle of life. The ordinary miracle of life itself. The fact that you can listen to my voice, that you're alive in a body and you can receive this information with your ears, right? This is the ordinary miracle that is overlooked in our search for the miraculous, for the miraculous healing or the miraculous moment of enlightenment, right? Or the teacher that has supernatural powers that are going to carry us mysteriously over the threshold of enlightenment, right? This is the nature of mind, you know, moving from thing to thing, looking, seeking, constantly dissatisfied with what is actually here, right? So the Buddha awoke by noticing the emptiness that he is, right? He noticed what is known as the clear awareness. He became aware of himself as awareness. And the Heart Sutra is emptiness is form and form is emptiness. This is the very core teaching of the Buddha, right? And it's not just an empty nothing, right? It's a living presence that there are no words to define it. But certainly words have been coming through the centuries this teaching of enlightenment and self-realization has been traveling through time to this moment, to your ears, right? The teaching of the Buddha, the teaching of Ramana Maharshi, the realization of yourself as source. So self-realization or freedom is not becoming a better you or an extraordinary person. It's really about recognizing on a deep level the ordinary miracle of life, the ordinary moment, the life that is in every single moment of your life. Because it's the ordinary life before the breath that is the seat of self-realization or full enlightenment, right? 
It's the deep realization of the emptiness in your heart, not as a dead blank space, but as a living presence that is both inside of you and outside of you. This is the essence of the Buddha's Heart Sutra. Form is emptiness and emptiness is form. So this living presence is inside of you and outside of you. This is the essence of the realization of the Buddha. But when we examine the Buddha's life, we can actually start to look at what does his life mean today in this moment for you. Because awakening is like a finger snap. It's instant, right? One second is all it takes, or less than a second, to recognize yourself as the living emptiness of your heart, or that which sees or looks through the lens of your eyes. This is the essence of true freedom, the beginning of full self-realization. It's the recognition of yourself as source. This is the nature of awakening, right? And it just takes that click of a finger and you're awake. But liberation and self-realization takes more time. It takes time to liberate yourself from the very powerful movements of the genetic mind, which is deeply infused with the feeling you are this person in a body, right? This root core identity is ego. It's the feeling, I am me, right? And that must be burned through for full self-realization. And full self-realization is the constant awareness of yourself as source, which means the experience is one of lasting happiness, right? It's not a bliss state that comes and goes. It's the awareness of yourself as happiness itself. It's the stateless state known as the clear awareness. So that's the nature of self-realization is the constant awareness of that. But if we use the life of, a Buddha, of the Buddha as a metaphor, it reveals to you three golden keys that are essential for full self-realization. So there's the three stages. Awakening, liberation is burning through your ego to such a degree that you're not hookable, you're not easily triggered into an emotional response, you're basically still, that's liberation. And then self-realization is the constant awareness of yourself as the clear awareness. So if we look at the life of the Buddha, what does it hold? What are the secrets revealed in the sacred life of the Buddha, right? And all life is sacred. This is the other ordinary miracle that we overlook. It's the miracle of life, right? So the Buddha was born in northern India about 500 years before Christ. But it's an ancient time. It's a time when people in general are disenchanted or becoming disillusioned with the ancient teachings of the Vedas. So the Vedas are about 5,000 years old, roughly. So if we examine the life of the Buddha, his mother 
had a miraculous kind of dream, a prophetic dream, that she was going to give birth to an enlightened being. And it was, she saw a white elephant with six tusks carrying a lotus flower that jumped into her side. And a few days later, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy that they named Siddhartha, which means every wish fulfilled. And the king and the queen were overjoyed by this beautiful baby. So the wife has this, his wife has this incredible dream and has, it gives birth to this beautiful baby boy. And then a few days later, she suddenly becomes ill and dies. And this is a significant part of the Buddha's story that is often overlooked. So when a baby is born and is receiving milk from a mother's breast, that baby is receiving love with that milk. So it's not just milk. It's the bond between a mother and her son or a mother and a baby is infused with the nectar of life, the milk of the breast, right? And so when she died, this baby would have felt the heartbreak of that, would have felt the sadness of the king and all of the people in the family that were close to the king, the heartbreak of the mother's sudden and unexpected death. And this is the primal wound that Siddhartha received was the death of his mother and a primal wound is a wound that happens when you're so young that you don't remember it it becomes part of your unconscious or subconscious memory and this primal wound was the seed of his search for enlightenment it was that initial heartbreak that fell into his subconscious that really would lead him on the path of trying to understand the nature of suffering when he was much older. So that's the beginning of Siddhartha's life. Now the seers of that time, the astrologers, the Vedic priests, they prophesize that this baby is going to either be a great king or an enlightened one, the enlightened great guru or teacher and naturally Siddhartha's father wants him to follow in his footsteps and become a great emperor maybe even greater than himself so he wants Siddhartha to follow in his footsteps and he does everything in his power to protect the young prince from seeing anything or experiencing anything that might lead him on a path of renunciation So the young prince is protected in the palace until he's about 13 years old. And by the time he's 13, his father's very proud of him. He's showing incredible athletic ability and supreme intelligence. And he's physically beautiful. So naturally, his father wants to show him off and brings him out of the palace for a harvest festival, which is a big party, right, to celebrate the harvest of everything that was planted over the summer months. 
But what captivates the young Siddhartha is not the festivities. There's a man plowing a field, right? And it's an old-fashioned plow, you know, the wooden plow with a stone edge cutting through the earth. So he notices this man who is really working hard and sweat is pouring on his body. And it's a big shock to him because he's never seen anyone work that hard. Remember, he's been sequestered in the palace and given every luxury, the highest education, the most beautiful clothes. But he never saw anyone work like that. So he slips away from the festivities and he sits under a tree and falls into a very deep meditative state. And he's contemplating what he saw with this plow cutting the earth. And this earthworm had popped out of the ground and a crow swooped down and ate it. And by observing this, he recognized that everything is interconnected. And for every action, there was a consequence. So if this man had not been plowing the field, the earthworm wouldn't have come up to the surface and the crow would not have eaten it. So there was consequences for every action. This is what the Buddha was contemplating in this very deep meditative state, right? And his father, the king, was observing this and was naturally very concerned by what he was seeing because he didn't want his son to become a guru or an aesthetic. He wanted him to be a great king. So he brings him back into the palace with a deeper resolve to protect him from anything that might lead him on a path of enlightenment or renunciation. And as he grows into a young man, he makes sure he has all the beautiful women in fact, Siddhartha falls in love with a beautiful princess and through his profound intelligence and athletic ability, he wins her hand in a horse race and through archery, right? He wins the hand of this beautiful princess and he's totally in love with her. It's not like he's not in love with her. So he has this life of luxury, a beautiful princess that he marries and falls in love with, right? And there's still something gnawing at him, this longing to know what is the meaning of life, what is outside the palace walls. And so he asks his dad if he can go out. You know, he asks his father, can I leave the palace, you know, to see what is in, what's outside of these palace walls? What is our kingdom, right? And so his father lets him go on four separate journeys. And these four journeys are very important because it's really the basis of what becomes the initial teaching of the Buddha, which is the Four Noble Truths, right? So the first journey, he has a sighting. So there's four sightings. And the first one is he sees an old man who's bent, bent over, very crooked, kind of stumbling along with a cane. And he's never seen anyone that's old. So he's very shocked by this. And he asks his servant, what's wrong with that person? And the servant looked at him and said, oh, well, that's an old man. That's someone who is old. We all grow old. It's part of life. So this was a big shock, the first sighting. 
On the second journey, the second sighting, he sees a man that is very sick and laying down and somebody is tending to him. And he said, what's wrong with that person? And his servant says, well, that person is sick. We all get sick. Just like we all get old, it's a part of life getting sick. This also shocks Siddhartha. So in the next journey out of the palace, he has another sighting. And he sees a dead corpse being carried on a gurney down to the burning ghats. But he's never seen a dead person. And he said, what is wrong with that person? And his servant says, that is a dead man. He's being taken down to the river so his body can be burned. We all get sick, we all get old, and we all die. This is the nature of life. So that was the third sighting. The fourth sighting, he sees a monk, an aesthetic, that is begging with a begging bowl. And this astounds him probably even more than the other three things that he witnessed, the other three sightings. And he asks, what is that person doing? And the servant responds, he has renounced the world so he can discover the true meaning of life, so he can discover the path that ends suffering. And this, out of all the sightings, and all the sightings really, really instilled in him this deeper longing to know more about what is suffering and how do you break free from it. So he goes back to the palace with all of this churning in his mind and his wife gives birth to his first baby, a beautiful baby boy. And his reaction to this birth is joy because he loves his wife but also sadness because he feels like the baby is going to keep him trapped in a mundane existence of luxury and being a king. But he saw the real nature of life, which is old age, sickness, death, right? And then the aesthetic that was someone who was trying to break free from that cycle of life of suffering and then the rebirth that keeps happening, the, re the cycle of birth and death. So he was very aware of the cycle of birth and death because that was the primary teaching of that time, the primary spiritual teaching, right? So he is exposed to the reality of life and he wants to know how do you break free from this cycle of birth and death? How do you break free from the endless cycles of suffering, right? And suffering to him wasn't just old age, death, and suffering in that term. In those terms, it was suffering in the context of we're never satisfied. We're always looking for something else. We have something one minute, we get bored with it, and we're looking for something else. Or we have a moment of bliss, we lose it, and we look for bliss in the next retreat or the next teacher or teaching. Always looking for more and more and more, the grasping nature of mind. So this is what he meant by suffering, right? So he's looking at his beautiful baby boy, but he knows that he has to leave. And it's a very strong feeling. I must leave on a quest to discover this 
what is the way out of suffering how to break free of this cycle so in the middle of the night he runs away he gets his fame on his famous horse and takes off and becomes a renunciate and all of this reveals the profound three keys of your own self-realization and that's why I'm telling you this story because I want to give you a perspective of the Buddha that can actually help you in your own path of self-realization your own realization your own direct realization of this right so the Buddha runs away and he spends roughly six years with many different gurus and teachers trying many very severe practices austere practices of deep meditations days of meditation right chanting even hanging himself upside down in a tree right and what he realized with every different teaching that he went to every different teacher that he wasn't really accomplishing the goal that he set out with which was to break free from suffering how do you do that right how do you end the cycles of birth and death so it failed he recognized that it didn't work and there was a general disillusionment with the Vedas at that time so he wasn't alone there was many renunciates on the path of seeking freedom seeking the end of suffering right but the difference with the Buddha is he had this uh, what we would say today as a disillusionment with the spiritual path and he stops right and he decides I'm gonna starve myself because the problem is the body and the mind in the body so he feels that through starvation this might be the solution that reveals or will unlock the great mystery of how you break free from this cycle so he's only eating a grain of rice a day and he's literally starving himself to death in fact he describes himself basically as a meditating skeleton right because he's near death and a little girl appears notices the situation he's in and brings him a bowl of rice and when this little girl hands him the bowl of rice he realizes that if he continues this practice of starvation he will die having accomplished nothing so he fails again with trying to starve himself to death right it doesn't work all the teachings all the gurus everything that he'd done so far hadn't worked so he starts eating again and nourishing his body contemplating all of this and he comes across the Bodhi tree right we know about the Bodhi tree the famous story of the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree where he becomes enlightened but this is the first golden key right he stops and sits under the Bodhi tree but he leaves the other teachers he leaves the teachings and he takes responsibility for himself this is the first golden key taking a hundred percent responsibility the guru or the teacher cannot carry you across the sea of samsara 
the true teacher pushes you under the surface so that this idea of you drowns, right? So it requires responsibility. You liberate yourself. No one can liberate you. The teacher does not liberate you from anything, right? The teacher points to the truth of who you are. So Siddhartha leaves all these teachers and teachings and the people that he met along the way. He takes responsibility and he sits under the Bodhi tree. And he sits there quietly examining how suffering happens. What is going on inside of himself. He's in a very deep meditation but he's observing how suffering happens. And while he's in this meditation, the demon Mara appears. And the demon Mara symbolizes death and desire. So death and desire as the form of a demon appear to tempt him away from this possible realization. Because the myth of the demon Mara, right? Death and desire. The purpose of death and desire is to keep you in the cycle of birth and death, to keep you in endless cycles of suffering. And this is why it's considered a demon. But this is one of the most important realizations of the Buddha. When he sees Mara, because he's so closely observing his breath and his mind and what's actually going on inside of him, he recognizes that Mara, this demon, is an aspect of himself. The gen what I would call the genetic mind, this dark, really fierce energy that wants to keep you alive, right? It's, it's a genetically wired to keep you alive. So he sees Mara as an aspect of himself, right? Death and desire as an aspect of his own egoic mind. He notices that, right? So Mara is trying to stop him and brings an army of demons with fiery arrows to shoot at him, right? But the Buddha remains still. And when Mara recognizes that the army is having no effect on him, he sends his three daughters to try and seduce him away from this realization, right? And the three daughters, the names of the three daughters are very important because they are the key that distracts you. It shows you what can distract you from your own self-realization. So the first daughter's name is boredom. The second daughter is craving and the third daughter is passion. And it's boredom, craving, and passion, those three things that have the power in the seat of the genetic mind, the egoic mind, to pull you up off your meditation cushion, right? So he sends these three beautiful women to seduce him. Boredom, craving, and desire, which was all inside of him, right? And he recognizes this and remains still. So he's not seduced by their beauty. And he's not seduced by the boredom of his own mind, the craving of his own mind, right? The passions of his own mind. He's still. 
and when the these women realize that they can't seduce him they start to rot and they fall into the ground and he's not repulsed by these three demon women right he still remains still and that's a very important point that he's not seduced by them but he's also not repelled or repulsed by them he is still and they fall back into the ground so the demon Mara realizes that that didn't work either and he gets very angry and he shouts at the Buddha you cannot become enlightened unless you have a witness it's impossible it's a universal law the Buddha does not say a word is completely silent and reaches down and touches the earth the earth is his witness right and the earth is where everything comes from and disappears into so without the earth we cannot survive so that is the universal mother that is his witness and with that in surprise the demon Mara vanishes right and in that moment there is a death of Siddhartha Siddhartha the identity the egoic mind this deep sense I am me vanished right he saw through his identity so it was the death of Siddhartha right so Mara the demon Mara represents death and desire right so death and desire the source of it is in the egoic mind the sense I am me which is tied to your name so Siddhartha dies and the Buddha is born this is enlightenment right under the Bodhi tree he wakes up a full waking up so it's not just the realization of himself as source it's full realization of himself as emptiness right and it's through this realization where the heart sutra comes from form is emptiness emptiness is form he saw himself clearly as the clear awareness the emptiness that is inside of him and outside of him right and the emptiness is inside of you and outside of you so what is the second golden key the first golden key was to take responsibility and the reason I say you have to take responsibility I'm talking about a hundred percent responsibility for your own liberation because you are 100 percent responsible for any negative emotion that you have so what do I mean by that you are a hundred percent responsible for any negative emotion means that you have to feel something be identified as a person and imagine what that feeling means in order for a negative emotion to exist so there has to be identity and imagination so if you take responsibility that's the first golden key so what is the second golden key what did the Buddha do right he stopped he stopped and observed right he practiced what we now describe as self-inquiry right and the gift of Ramana Maharshi is there is the immediacy of cutting through the core identity which is the source of the desire the craving the boredom right 
But when the Buddha was sitting under the tree, he was noticing how suffering happened. And you can do the same thing. This is the second golden key. Self-inquiry. How does suffering happen for you? How do you fall back into old patterns of behavior? How does it happen? Not why does it happen, right? Because if you're telling your, or asking yourself the question why, it leads to a story about why things happened. There's no responsibility in it. There's an immaturity in it. So to grow up is to take full responsibility to recognize that any negative emotion can't exist unless you imagine it and you're identified as the person who is imagining, right? So self-inquiry is the second golden key and Ramana's great gift or the miracle of Ramana is that question, who am I really, which cuts through the name, right? So you can sell, save yourself, you can end the search that Siddhartha went on and cut through that identity right now. Who are you really? What is your name? What does it consist of if you examine it? So this is the nature of inquiry is it annihilates the root. It annihilates the root. So the first golden key is responsibility. The second is self-inquiry. So what is the third golden key. What did the Buddha do? So he stopped and he sat and he was silent, right? And he observed. So you have to be still. You have to be quiet if you want self-realization, full self-realization. You have to be still and quiet so you can observe what is observing, right? So you can observe how you suffer. This is the third golden key, which is, we call it meditation, right? But it's not just meditation where you're just focusing on the breath or noticing that your mind is really active. It's observing how your mind works. And deeper, what is the source of the mind itself? This is the third golden key, right? Which reveals the ordinary miracle of life itself. This is the great miracle of the Buddha and the great gift of Ramana Maharshi as you can cut through. So the four noble truths of the Buddha, which are based on the four sightings that he had as a young man, right? The four noble truths were a result of his awakening, not the path to awakening. So Buddhism is based on the Four Noble Truths and the fact that there is a way out of suffering which is known as the Eightfold Path of Buddhism, right? This was what the Buddha realized would support people in their own realization that you could have this realization in ordinary life. This was the great miracle of the Buddha was he was the first one to say that an ordinary person could become enlightened, that you didn't have to be Brahmin, you didn't have to be born into a certain caste, it was free of the caste system, it was free of the cultural norms, right? He pushed against the cultural norms and said that anyone can become enlightened. This is the great 
gift of the Buddha, but it was based on his uh, realization. And so when the Buddha gives his first Dharma talk, he sets the wheel of Dharma in motion and he explains the Four Noble Truths. And the Four Noble Truths are life is suffering, right? That's the first Noble Truth. And by suffering, he wasn't just talking about the physical suffering, the mental suffering that we experience. He was talking about desire and attachment because as he was sitting under the tree, he realized that the source of suffering was desire and attachment, right? And Ramana just goes right to the root cause of both desire and attachment, which is the identity. That's the gift of Ramana, is the immediacy, right? So the first noble truth is that life is suffering, that you're never happy, you're always looking for something else, a different teaching, a different job, different relationship, right? We're never really satisfied. That's what the first noble truth means. The second noble truth is that desire, craving, boredom, physical sickness, death, birth, all of this is the nature of suffering. And then the third noble truth is desire and attachment is the cause of suffering. And the fourth noble truth is there is a way out of suffering. And at that time frame, that was a huge revelation. And it's a huge revelation for you right now. Because this wheel of Dharma is centered in your own heart. That is the ordinary miracle. That you are the source you are the emptiness deeper than name deeper than form is this emptiness right you are the center of the wheel of Dharma and Dharma means basically this realization this realization the cessation or the end of suffering right right action right speech right livelihood these are the the tenets of the Eightfold Path but in order for you to have the same realization of the Buddha, you have to find those three golden keys, right? Take responsibility. And the second one, inquire. How do you suffer? And the third one is stop. Be still. Notice what's going on inside of you. Stop blaming other people. Taking responsibility is the end of the blame game right? It's your responsibility, not your circumstances, not what other people are doing, not what other people are saying, not whether people are acting. It's how you are feeling in reaction to that and what you're imagining. But the core is this identity, right? So this is the great miraculous wisdom of the Buddha, right? When you examine the life of the Buddha, so when you examine the life of the Buddha, it doesn't mean you have to become a renunciate because he left the luxury of the palace to go on this journey. And everything he tried failed. He became disillusioned with the spiritual seeking. And you can become disillusioned with the spiritual seeking right now because spiritual seeking only leads you looking for more. It keeps you in a cycle of seeking. It's the nature of suffering. It's spiritual suffering. So 
to be a renunciate doesn't mean you have to leave your life it is renounce the mind right renounce the three daughters of Mara renounce the Mara mind right recognize the dark is inside of you just like the light recognize that you don't have to buy into this anymore you don't have to believe the negative conversation of the Mara mind that's going on inside of you you can stop you can take responsibility you can be still and you can discover for yourself the ordinary miracle of life in this moment exactly as it is without changing a thing you are this ordinary miracle of life itself that is full self-realization thank you so much for listening this is Koshi and I'll be talking to you again soon